jackpot drawing 4 8 15 16 and 23 with the mega number 42 whoever has those numbers has won or will share in a near record jackpot Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 118, entitled Numbers. And with that, let's jump right into the Wikipedia summary of the episode. In flashbacks, Hurley wins the lottery, and over the ensuing weeks, everyone around him seems to suffer increasingly bad luck. He then visits a mental asylum, where he apparently had resided for some time, to talk to another patient, Leonard Sims, who keeps repeating the numbers to Hurley. When Hurley tells him that he used the numbers in the lottery, Lenny panics. As the hospital staff drag him away, Leonard calls out the name of Sam Toomey in Calgary, Australia. Hurley travels there. Toomey's widow relates a story of how Toomey and Leonard had served together in the U.S. Navy being stationed at a listening post in the Pacific, monitoring long-wave radio transmissions. At one point, 16 years later, Toomey picked up a signal of a human voice repeating the numbers over and over. After using the numbers to win a prize at a fair in Calgary, Alberta, Toomey experienced a steady stream of bad luck until he finally committed suicide by shotgun. On the island, Hurley steals some of the documents that Said had found in Daniel Rousseau's camp in an earlier episode. The documents contain the repeated numbers 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, and 42. Hurley is agitated at seeing the numbers and sets off on his own to find Rousseau, ignoring Said's warnings about the danger. Hurley finds the same mysterious cable that Said had followed. Hurley seems to have no fear of Rousseau's booby traps, which through apparent good luck seem to keep missing him, although one almost kills him. Saeed, Jack, and Charlie eventually catch up to him at a suspension bridge. Hurley crosses the bridge first, but then it collapses under the much lighter weight of Charlie, and the group is separated. After Hurley and Charlie are split up while being shot at, Hurley encounters Rousseau, who threatens him at gunpoint. Hurley refuses to back down and adamantly insists that she tell him what the numbers mean. Rousseau appears convinced of his sincerity and lowers her gun, but says that she does not know, only that her party was drawn to the, to the island by the radio transmission of the numbers, but when they tried to come ashore, their ship was destroyed by submerged rocks. It took them weeks to find the transmission tower, which was near the Black Rock. After the last of her team was gone, she changed the message that was being transmitted into a distress call. Hurley and Rousseau conclude that the numbers are cursed, and Rousseau points out that the numbers that brought her to the island were evidently responsible for bringing Hurley to the island as well, and that just as they brought bad luck to him, the numbers caused her to lose everyone and everything that she cared about. Hurley expresses huge relief that he has finally found someone who agrees with him that the numbers are cursed, and hugs her. Hurley later makes his way back to Saeed, Jack, and Charlie, 
giving them a battery he got from Rousseau, which can be used for Michael's raft. On the beach, Charlie talks to Hurley and reveals his heroin addiction. Hurley in turn tells Charlie how much wealth he possessed before the crash, though Charlie takes it as a joke and, insulted, storms off. At the end of the episode, the numbers are revealed to be engraved on the sides of the hatch that Boone and Locke found in a previous episode. And with that, let's now move on to my thoughts about the episode. Starting off, you can tell even from the previously unlost segment that this is going to be a this is going to be a big boy episode. I don't mean that in a hurly way. This is going to be one of those important episodes that have uh, weight and gravitas to it. Uh, what with the previously unlost segment showing hips from finding the cla- the, the hatch and Saeed with Danielle. Uh, the episode proper hits the ground running absolutely at full speed. Hurley, Jin, and Michael working on the raft. Uh, they want some electronics for a distress beacon on the raft, which then includes Saeed in the discussion, who refuses to go see Danielle for the batteries. All of this, in fact, happens in about 60 seconds. They just, as I said, they just jump right in. And in doing so, in talking to Saeed about Danielle, uh, that puts Danielle's map into Hurley's hand. Well, when I say her map, I should say her, her map as well as some of her papers, uh, which include the numbers repeated over and over. It's a very, very well shot scene because Saeed just dismissively puts the paperwork in Hurley's hand uh, and then Hurley stands there behind the other actors just staring at the numbers. They don't, they don't oversell it. Um, and in fact, I mean, w- watching... Uh, you know, watching this episode again, knowing what the numbers will uh, will uh, continue, you know how they'll continue on is a mystery here. It was bone chilling. It was a bone chilling experience to see the numbers introduced for that first time, um, particularly in Hurley's flashback, uh, which was the clip that opened the episode. Yes, granted, they're shown on Danielle's paper a minute before, but to actually hear them spoken out loud for the first time. It was this kind of mildly reverential moment uh, for me and I I suspect for many listeners. Um, It also, I mean, with that flashback of Hurley uh, hearing the numbers and realizing he's won the lottery, it's just a super, super fun way to end the teaser act. Hurley passes out and falls out of screen. Cut to the black screen with the white title lost. Uh, just Just a neat way to say, you know, buckle up, we're in for a good ride this week. Um, overall, though, I mean, the episode is tremendously indicative of the Hurley that we'll come to know in later seasons. He clearly has a plan to go find Rousseau, but it's all kind of hidden in this cloud of, hey, dude, what do the French chicks say and stuff? Um, but behind that, he has this objective of he's going to tell people he's going to get to, to get a battery. He would like to come back with a battery. Uh, but more important to him is uh, discussing with her her knowledge about the numbers. Uh, it's it's just, um, Hurley is tremendously responsible and driven in this episode. And you'll see it time and time again as we, as we go through the episode uh, in its proper chronology here. It's also just a tremendously well, uh, kind of well-structured episode. Um, take, for example, the scene where Hurley is discussing, uh, well, he's just discussing with the media how he has just won the lottery. Um, and uh, Abuelito Tito dies, uh, which is this kind of oddly comic moment. Uh, the, the episode has a couple of dark moments that come off as very funny, and that Abuelito Tito's death certainly is one. Uh, but right before that, he references having put his family through a lot lately, uh, which I certainly took as a reference to his time in the mental institution. 
Now, to be fair, it's not some big uh, mystery by the end of this episode that he was in a mental institution because he indeed goes there in, in short order to visit, uh, to visit, to visit Leonard. But uh, it's just kind of nice that it's all internally consistent within the episode. Um, I found myself, too, as the episode was going on, there were, I had to keep pausing it because there's so much in it, especially early on. Uh, I mean, at this point, we are not, uh, we're, you know, we're less than 10 minutes into the show's episode. And I don't mean the podcast, which is you know now at eight and a half right now. Um, all of what we've discussed so far is just in the first eight or 10 minutes of the, of the, the, of the show. It's incredible. There's Hurley, there's the numbers, there's Rousseau. Then Locke comes along to have Claire help build something, which of course we see at the end of the episode is her crib. There's also a quick check-in with Shannon being worried about Saeed. And it's just, this is again, this is in the first eight or ten minutes. Um, as a side note, I like that the show has uh, the guts for Saeed to not kiss Shannon goodbye. We haven't seen them being overly intimate. Um, and him reaching out to stroke her cheek goodbye, not only is it just quite enough, it just feels almost more intimate than, than, a, than a kiss in terms of... Uh, Oh, I don't know. In terms of there being an emotional closeness, m- more so than a, uh, you know, than some sort of physical thing. Um, as a side note, too, as they uh, do flashbacks in uh, Hurley's Los Angeles, because Hurley is from Los Angeles. Um, I've been to L.A. bunches of times, though I've never been to Hawaii. But each time they show Hurley's Los Angeles in this episode, I'm just very struck about how much it looks like Hawaii. Uh, obviously, it was shot in Hawaii, but uh, well, anyhow. Uh, moving on, obviously a big, uh, big uh, point in this episode is uh, the notion of bad luck, Hurley's bad luck, and uh, indeed we get a laundry list of Hurley's bad luck. I mean, after everything you've been through, like Grandpa, Dios lo tenga en la gloria. They had the funeral, while the Aguilar getting struck by lightning. Man, it was a freak storm. And Diego moving back home after Lisa left him for that waitress. Don't mention that whore to me. I'm just saying. It's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's uh, using, once again, using some of your comedic actors uh, in, a, in a good spot there. Um, and uh, I mean, that said, it also is providing kind of good, uh, good recap for events that we don't necessarily need to see. We don't need to see Abuelito Tito die and the business at the funeral and this and that the other just you know say it and move on to more important things um and speaking of more important things shortly after that first clip there's a wonderful scene that i distinctly remember watching for the very first time back in 2005 you are now the majority shareholder for a box company in tustin a box company mm-hmm. they make boxes lucrative business Everybody needs boxes. It's not the money, it's the numbers. The numbers are cursed. Dude, don't look at me like that. I'm not crazy. This is real. Come on, you go listen to yourself. The numbers are cursed. You know there is no such thing as a... I love it that they call back to Locke and his box company and even the line um, when Locke... Oh, I mean, this is a number, a number of episodes ago, but when Locke is telling Boone um, how he worked for a box company. Uh, it's basically the same dialogue. Boone says, box company, and Locke says, they make boxes. It's just great that they really start tying the different uh, 
bits together, not for any uh, overarching uh, reason, just kind of for the for the fun of it to show that we're all connected. Um, and uh, <laughs> there's also that business of the suicide jumper falling past the window. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's such an awful thing, but I suppose that it's proof that comedy really is tragedy plus time. Um, but kind of you know, moving on here, I'm just amazed at how good an episode this is. It's a charming flashback story, the island story that just covers through so many different plot points, uh, in, and even little ones. Michael and Jin lovingly fighting over the raft, and Sun feeling abandoned and talking with Kate. <laughs> I mean, I've complained in past uh, podcasts about how they'll kind of do these montages to check in with other characters. To me, I'd much rather see Sun in an episode referencing last week's business with Jin do that for a scene, do that for 30 seconds, as opposed to, you know, slapping it on at the end because you, you know, because of whatever. Um, it's just, it's just a great episode. Um, but of course, you know, the, the key to this, it's a Hurley episode and uh, there's even more of Hurley being capable while he's out in the jungle. You're standing on a pressure trigger. If you take your weight off it, it will release that. Oh man. We need to find something to replace this weight with the trigger. Wait, how are we going to do that? Hey, don't move. Hey, everybody, just calm down. Can I drop the wire? Maybe I find a rock I'll or something. Drop the wire. Hurley? No. I can make it. Hurley, don't move. No. I can get out of the way. I'm spry. Oi. Hurley, stay Oi. put. No way. Hurley. 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 Don't even. Hurley. Yeah. Hurley, what the bloody hell is wrong with you? Nothing. What are you doing out here, man? As I continue on with this rewatch, episode by episode, I am more and more convinced that Hurley really was being set up as the guy from the start. Whether that plan uh, for Jacob and the island's protector was even on the radar at that point, I don't know. But nonetheless, Hurley doesn't want help. He doesn't ask for help. He doesn't need help. He gets the out of the sticky ball trap of death thing just fine by himself. I I think that we're we are um, uh, misdirected by uh, you know, his appearance or as he refers to himself at one point, good time Hurley and, and this sort of thing. But he's just a tremendously capable character, and you're really seeing it in this his first uh, his first flashback episode. Uh, moving on, when Hurley goes to uh, the Santa Clara Institution. There's some fantastic camera work. Uh, on the widescreen shot, you can see Mental Inst on the top right corner and Ichiatric Mitting on the left. Obviously, Mental Institution and Psychiatric Admitting, but it's, it's cut off. Um, and of course, to many 2005 viewers, you wouldn't even have seen that much uh, without the benefit of widescreen. However, once the doctor recognizes Hurley, the camera turns around, and right after the line, what are you doing back here, we see now, very, very clearly, between the two actors, there's the sign, psychiatric admitting. Um, again, it's no huge clue, because you'll find out in within a, a couple of minutes that uh, indeed Hurley had been a patient there, but it's just kind of... I don't know if it's the show realizing that there's people uh, intelligent enough to be to be really playing along at home, you know, stuff like the box company line where you know there's a certain portion of us, probably most of us listening, said you know, oh, 
box company lock you know where you're you're actively engaged in the show you're not just sitting there saying you know all right entertain me um but uh it's it's uh it's as i keep saying it's a well-crafted episode and uh, indeed there's a there's a point and maybe for for much of the episode and perhaps much of the show uh, or much of the series that is to say uh, but certainly within this episode uh there's a point where hurley is playing the part of the audience asking for clues and answers you've opened the box I watched. Uh, you shouldn't have used our numbers. Why not? It doesn't stop. You gotta get away from those numbers. You gotta get far, far right, hey, away. Do you hear me? No, don't you understand? You gotta get Let away it, from it, it, or it won't stop. Let it try. Wait, wait a second, wait a second. I need some answers. Sir, you need to step away. I need the numbers. Where'd you get them? Sam Toomey. He heard them. Who's Sam Toomey? He heard them in Calgary. Where's Calgary? In town. And it kind of goes on a bit from there with a bunch of yelling and whatnot. But, um,. Something, you know, I, I found myself mildly bored with some of the multi-layered story about how the numbers got to Hurley. Hurley got them from Leonard, who got them from Sam Toomey, who got them from a voice over the static uh, 16 years ago, uh, which of course is meant to prick up our ears because that's how long ago uh, Danielle crashed there. Um, then there's the continued notion that the numbers really are cursed. Hurley's misfortunes, Sam Toomey's misfortunes, etc., I mean, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, the, we know that the numbers weren't cursed. It's one of these kind of coincidences. It's a bit of a, uh, you know, it's a bit of a Easter egg for us to all play with. Um, and I don't know, it just kind of, they, they infused it with such importance in this episode that it, it just felt like a little bit of a, of a misdirect that was unfair. Um, that said, it's not like the show put all its easter eggs in one basket to to have a bit of a metaphor there they were upfront about a variety of the different possibilities for what the numbers could be think i'd still have my leg if sam hadn't picked the right number of beans you you think that floods wouldn't have happened that that homes wouldn't have burned down that people wouldn't have died well yeah you make your own luck mr reyes don't blame it on the damn numbers you're looking for an excuse that doesn't exist. Really, kudos to the show for being upfront and saying, don't buy at face value all the different junk that we sell you. Uh, and I say that with respect. You know, some things are misdirection. Some things are just there for fun. I'd say most of the books uh, featured in the show, they're just there to be little nods or little twists. They're not meant to be some big giant clue where you say aha the entire show can be summed up if you just read wrinkle in time or if you just read watership down they're just little fun bits of shading and the show i think here is saying you know don't necessarily follow a shade all the way back to to consider it something that's super important um still though i want to return to this notion that you know hurley is the audience in this episode uh and in fact later on hurley gives what i call the lament of the audience repeating all the things we've said at home. Okay. That thing in the woods? Maybe it's a monster. Maybe it's a pissed-off giraffe. I don't know. The fact that no one is even looking for us. Yeah, that's weird. But I just go along with it. Because I'm along for the ride. Good old fun time Hurley. 
Well, guess what? Now, I want some friggin' answers! How many times did we all say some variation of that when watching the show? Uh, I mean, season two jumps to mind uh, repeatedly, and in fact, they do kind of a similar lament of the audience uh, given to Ben um, right around the time when uh, when uh, they're a certain bunch. Is it Charlie and Saeed who go out to look for the uh, for the hot air balloon? Um, but meanwhile, Ben is back at the hatch saying, you know, you think you guys would question this and you think you guys would question that. And it's just like, yes, please, will someone please ask that question? Um, part of the, part of the love-hate relationship of the show, they set up all this dramatic tension and then just make you, uh, make you kind of hold it. Um, of course, what's, what's Danielle's answer to, to that? She references the radio tower. I mean... Again, this is speaking of things that <laughs> tensions that are set up that we're not going to get the answer to for for some time. Danielle references the radio tower, which we won't see until the end of season three. The Black Rock, which we'll see at some point this season, but it still is a mystery that's been out there for a while. And of course, from Danielle, Hurley gets some sort of uh, confirmation about the numbers, a battery, and a hey to Saeed. Once again... Once again, Hurley is able to sort things out in an unconventional manner, uh, which he does so by acting directly, kindly, caringly. It's not the, uh, the hot-headed, let's go get Claire, uh, that, that Jack would take. It's not the, uh, the, the, the calculated, what should we do, let's circle the wagons type thing of Locke. Hurley just says, all right, here's a problem. I'm going to go try and deal with it. I'm going to go out there directly. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to drag my feet. I'm just going to go head that direction and try and take care of the problem. Sounds like a great leader to me. Sounds like somebody who I'd want in charge of my organization, institution, or uh, or island. As the episode starts to wrap up, uh, Locke reveals uh, that he's been building the cradle for Claire's baby, and he's kind of uh, uh, had her help without her knowing that it was a cradle. Is Locke ever more lovable, ever more paternal, ever more caring, ever more just uh, amazing a character than when he, you know, here he is uh, involving Claire in the creation of a cradle. Uh, so she's involved in the, in the gift of it. You know, she's able to impart some of herself into this wonderful thing. And uh, it's just great. As a side note, too, I couldn't help but think, you know, here's Claire out in the woods building stuff for the baby. Where is she going to be in season six? crazy out in the woods using sticks to build a baby um <laughs> i don't know maybe there's just like there's the bubba gump shrimp company that's uh, been uh, franchised from forrest gump maybe uh lost should do you know build a stick baby factory and you can you know, go in there and take bits of rabbit fur and raccoon skull and sticks and twigs and make your own claire baby but uh anyhow <laughs> back to more important things um the episode continues its kind of uh, conclusion uh, with Charlie bearing his soul to Hurley. In fact, it was funny because I wrote that note. I wrote bearing his soul as he did it. And then he gets up and says, you know, Hurley, I'm bearing my soul to you. And I said, wow, looks like myself and the writers are on the exact same page for that phrase. But anyhow, Charlie is bearing his soul to Hurley about his drug addiction. And Hurley reciprocates by sharing that he's worth $156 million. Charlie doesn't believe him and storms off. Uh, and... It's obviously set up to be humorous and, and you get a chuckle out of it uh, upon first viewing. But to me, the, the big takeaway, 
as we look back is that we should not ever, never, never, ever, ever underestimate Hurley because he's a fully realized, serious character with great potential. And I don't mean potential for entertainment as a character. As a human being, the character of Hurley has all this great potential, right? He's come from humble beginnings to become a millionaire, to become the owner of all these different companies and factories and this sort of thing, to now uh, he's the one that gets the battery that makes it possible for the raft. Probably, well, you know, obviously the ill-fated raft, but not not for lack of uh, not for lack of Hurley being involved. Um, this is the 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 great Hurley that we will come to appreciate. Obviously, he's lovable from day one, and probably a lot, a lot of that is you know, big round guy. He's kind of the big teddy bear. He's you know, dude, whoa! It's kind of all this that we're meant to enjoy. But we're seeing the protector here. We've seen bits and pieces before, and I've mentioned it in previous podcasts. But I feel like here, here it's for real. Here it's not just him saying, let me soothe your soul, Jen. Let's go fishing. This is saying, you got a problem. I'm going to go take care of it. I don't care that you think I can't do this. I don't care that Jack and Saeed and Charlie feel the need to sit and have a conference about the best way to, to, to save Hurley from uh, the spiky rock thing. and He's standing on the pressure sensor. Hurley's answer is yeah i'm just gonna take care of it i i see the problem i see the, the rock thing that i see the spiky ball stick thing uh, i see him on the pressure sensor uh, i'm just gonna kind of tumble out of the way and i think i got it and he does <sighs> there thus ends my rant about hurley um the final zinger of course is that the the numbers are on the side of the hatch that's how the episode ends and i i remember this too watching it uh watching it for the first time just having this moment of like Oh my goodness, you know, what in the world could this possibly mean? Um, of course, it's meant to, to propel us to the next episode. But I think it also gives a hint of something that Leonard said. Leonard had the bit of dialogue in the clip there. You've opened the box. And I think opening the hatch becomes, for the rest of the season, a Pandora's box, inside which is the potential for extremely bad things. And, I mean, indeed... Let's let's talk about some of the bad things that are in the hatch. Insofar that the hatch holds the force that brought down the plane, right? The electromagnetism. Uh, it's also the final resting place for Juliet. It's the site of the suicide of uh, not Minkowski, uh, Rosinski. It's been a prison of sorts for the the many who have been trapped there, pushing the button. Uh, obviously, uh, Desmond being one. Obviously, uh, Kelvin being another. Um, it, it indeed is an awful place. But just as Pandora's box also held hope, uh, which is left last, which is the last thing to come out, so too Desmond waits. Uh, and indeed, it's eight short episodes when we will first uh, meet Desmond. So I just love that they, you know, that there's the the reference uh, from Leonard to the box. Now, granted, he's talking about the numbers and the box. He's being a bit metaphorical i think but still the numbers are on the hatch the hatch is like a box pandora's box all these bad things and then hope um and indeed if you look at desmond's role in the series as a whole uh he's the source of of hope certainly in the in the finale he's the one who's able to really bring everybody together stitch everybody together and um and and give them the hope to move on and to move on together so uh I don't know. I, I, it, it's disheartening to hear that a lot of this stuff wasn't planned from the beginning. 
Uh, and as a side note, I've heard that the uh, the show Alcatraz, which uh, I'm recording this uh, in May 2011, uh, so Alcatraz has yet to be on. But it's kind of the you know it's a J.J. Abrams uh, show. It'll be on Fox in the oh I think in January 2012. It stars Jorge Garcia um, and Sam Neill. But I've heard that uh, uh, Fox has said to the producers, "We want to sit down. We want to have a secret meeting." secret in that we won't share any of the secrets but we want to have a meeting so that we understand the big picture here because we heard on lost how there kind of wasn't a big plan the entire time and things got a little out of hand or potentially could have gone awry so let's just kind of get all on the same page here just so we know where things are going um anyhow uh the the legacy of lost's giant mysteries i suppose um that finishes my thoughts about the episode, but I will move on now to an email once again from number one fan of the show, Bonnie. Uh, she had emailed me about this episode. Uh, she said, quote, A few days ago, I watched Numbers, and I will defer to wiser heads than mine to speculate on whether Jacob had a thing for Numbers is ultimately what it all boils down to. I can only imagine the hysteria in the lost community when these numbers appeared on the show in real time. I would have been up all night driving myself insane. She goes on to say, one random thought, Exodus and Numbers are both books in the Bible. Close quote. Um, my response to her, I will share with you, uh, because it's a vivid, vivid memory. Um, I, watched the num- I watched this episode. I watched Numbers the night it aired. And as it aired, which is to say I didn't record it or T-vote anything, and I live on the East Coast. So I distinctly remember going to my computer at about 9.05 p.m., shortly after the episode had aired, and I typed the numbers in and got nothing. There was nothing. Uh, Later that night, or perhaps the next morning, uh, just did a little search again, and there was just a modest amount of posts saying, what are these numbers in Lost? And then from there, it just exploded. Each day, there were more mentions, little theories, medium theories, big theories, calculus, physics, art, literature, baseball, all that fervor that we would know uh, to come from us crazy Lost fans. It was just amazing to watch it explode from literally nothing shortly after the episode had ended to questions to just all sorts of smart people unintelligent people, all, all sorts of people making connections. And the amazing thing was the people on the really smart end, the ones saying, I'm a graduate student for uh, you know, subspace harmonics and, and it might mean this. And somebody said, you know, this, that, the other. It, it was just, it was amazing to watch that. Um, as frustrating as the mystery of the numbers might be and that there ultimately isn't a whole lot. Now you might be saying, oh, well, what about the, lost alternate reality game and the Valenzetti equation that's all fine I mean that's to me that's a bit of an answer at the end a little bit of an end cap answer at the end of the day what's the dramatic function of the numbers it's a mystery in this episode meant to bring Hurley and Rousseau together Uh, from there you know and then they just kind of continue the mystery oh it's on the side of the hatch we even see within the show why are those numbers on the hatch because they just did some random serial number it was nothing God-given. It wasn't the tablets from on, on down the mountain type thing. Um, and I, that's part of the fun of the show. Some, they're the, the big things to worry about, and they're the little things to worry about. 
people who complained about the final episode who were expecting you know the the, the end all theory that uh, you know involves the numbers and polar bears and you know god and heaven and earth and the mountains and the seas and everything that was never the show you have these fun little bits here with the numbers it, you know if you thought you were gonna, you were going to get more out of the numbers well think of you know the soccer team and the is it is it one of the three part is it part of the three part finale for season 1 but anyhow hurley's running to the plane and there's the soccer team with all the numbers at that point they're not saying there's some grand unifying theory. They're just having a bit of fun. And they're saying, look at this world that we live in that has these connections. Um, and indeed, to kind of get off on a tangent for a moment, you know, these connections are real. When I was in high school, I was friends with a guy who had blonde hair. He was good at math. And his name was Jeff. Uh, when I was in college, I worked for a landscaper. Different guy who had blonde hair was good at math. And his name was Jeff. I mean, you put that in the show and it, it would be, oh, what's the coincidence? What does it all mean? Well, in real life, these things just happen. And I think the show was reflecting that and probably also giving a bit of an echo chamber for us to all play with and get, get crazy about and uh, kind of you know have a back and forth with, with each other and then make sure we tune in next week. So Whew. anyhow, with that, let's move on now to Lostpedia to see any little bits and pieces that I have missed. Uh, Lostpedia says, Hurley is falsely arrested for being a drug dealer, according to his accountant. Jorge Garcia, who of course plays Hurley, guest starred as a drug dealer on the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode, The Carpool Lane. So the, the implication being there that, uh, you know, how could you be uh, uh, misunderstood for a drug dealer? Well, it's because a guy, you know, in the, in the world of the show, right, Hurley looks like that guy that played the drug dealer on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think that's a bit of a joke, although... Perhaps that's explained a bit too directly, but it's taken, anyhow, it's taken as a reference to um, that episode of Curb, which of course uh, put them, put Hurley, put Jorge Garcia on the radar of the producers and why he was hired. So good job, Curb Your Enthusiasm, changing the world yet again. Um, they go on to say, Lostpedia does, this is the first episode to be named after a book of the Bible. It is one, one of only three episodes uh, to draw its name from a biblical book. The others being Exodus, uh, Part 1, Exodus Part 2, and the 23rd Psalm. Uh, and then, interestingly, Lostpedia does not mention that Sawyer is aggravated uh, by the raft building while reading. To my mind, this aggravation that he has is surely a reference to his vision problems, which is to say that his headache is caused by reading and exacerbated by the raft building noises. Um... So tisk tisk lostpedia for not being on that. As a side note too, I believe I said in last week's podcast that, uh, and I read it from Lostpedia that uh, the news footage that um, uh, Jin, well, let's see, Jin is in the energy secretary's uh, house and the little girl's watching TV, and you see Hurley. Um, I believe Lostpedia said that that referenced everybody loves, everybody hates Hugo. Um, and to be honest, I haven't seen Everybody Hates Hugo in a while. Obviously, it's on the, uh, it'll be uh, part of the rewatch and part of the podcast when that when its time comes. But to me, it's a much clearer reference to this. It's a clearer reference to next week's episode from from that episode. You know, so like you're saying, oh, what's this Easter egg? Then the next week you say, oh, look, Hurley's on the news. Oh, that's why they showed him uh, with the energy secretary's house and blah, blah, blah. So Lostpedia, great but imperfect. And um, moving on, as we look ahead to next week, 
Next week will be episode 119, the monumental Deus Ex Machina. Obviously, just a, a critical episode to the, uh, to the mythology of the show and one that's going to be great, great fun to revisit. And I look forward to you joining me. And indeed, a reminder that new episodes launch at the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Fridays. If you'd like to share any feedback, you can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. You can send an email, or a text, or a voice message, or whatever you'd like via email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And of course, you can always find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. So thank you, dear listeners, for listening yet again. I know it was a little bit of a shorter episode, but sometimes these things happen. And uh, I certainly look forward to joining you all next week for 119 Deus Ex Machina. Take care. Bye-bye. Don't mention that whore to me. I'm just saying. Tu hierves en mi sangre al mirarte, nena. Me vuelves loco y no combino.